Hello. Happy hump day. Welcome back to another episode of Yvette Unplugged. Wow. (laughs) It's been a long time, y'all. It's been a long time. The last time that I put out an episode was May 27th, and it is officially June 24th, so it's been almost a full month, and yeah, um, we'll talk about where I've been. I guess this whole episode is basically about where I've been, so let's just get right into Women Crush Wednesday. Let's keep up with the um, format of the show, and so... Today's Woman Crush Wednesday is Angela Davis. Angela Davis is an American political activist, philosopher, academic, Marxist, feminist, and author. She is someone who was very active in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And I recently, given the climate that we are in right now, um, I recently become grown very fond of this woman. She is just goals. (laughs) If you look back at pictures of her um, in her youth, she's 76 now, but if you look back at pictures of her in her youth, she is fro goals like on 100. (laughs) And um, if you read her words and listen to her voice, she is just, she has a way with her words. And I've always been someone who has been fond of people who can communicate in ways that I guess I um, hope to be able to communicate in sometime in the future. And so, yeah, Angela Davis is my Woman Crush Wednesday of the day. And if you don't know who she is, you should go look her up. I I am going to be probably investing in some of her books that she has written over the years. But yeah, she's awesome. So let's get right into it. So my last episode was... May 27th. Um, And in May, I was trying to do a theme of motherhood. And yeah, I think I missed one week. So my last episode was May 27th. And I talked about how my children are my fruit. And since then, there's been quite a flurry of events, um, to say the least. But On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was um, murdered, basically, by a police officer. Um, I'm sure we all are aware of that story by now because I feel like it was the death of George Floyd that has kind of sent us in, um, I don't, it's, it's a moment but I'm actually hoping that it's more than a moment. What's happened is uh, people have seen his death by a white cop and there's a lot more awareness being brought to light about the um, pandemic of police brutality from white officers to black, to people in the black community. And it's not just black men, it's also black women. And from George Floyd, like before George Floyd, there was Ahmaud Arbery. And 
Ahmad Arbery is when I first started feeling some kind of way. Like his death made me feel some kind of way. Um, interesting story. So Ahmad actually was murdered on February 23rd, 2020. But it wasn't until early May that we even heard anything about his death. And um, that week, the week that I heard anything about it was the week of my husband's birthday, which is May 8th. And come to find out, Ahmad would have been celebrating his birthday on that same day. And, um, you know, my husband and I kind of got into it because he doesn't really <laughs> like to celebrate too much. Like, it's not a natural inclination of his to be like, oh, it's my birthday. Let's celebrate. And he had clearly made wishes like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to work like I want to work without having to feel guilty about working, you know, all the things. And so um, I and I in hindsight, I feel like it was selfish. And some of you may not think it's selfish, but I I truly do believe it was a selfish desire of mine to want to celebrate Glenn on that day. And the thing is, it wasn't that. Yes, I wanted to celebrate him, but I needed to celebrate him. I needed to celebrate him because I just think that it's whack that we are constantly mourning the death of black men and not celebrating their lives. And so for me on May 8th, I needed to celebrate the life of my husband. I needed him to know how loved he is and that there are so many people who desire to celebrate him. And given the quarantine, you know, it makes it difficult because we're supposed to be um, social distancing and whatnot. And so I like put together this whole drive by parade of um, some key players in his life. And while I do think that he appreciated it, it was something that he just really <laughs> did not necessarily want. And yeah, I feel like that was a selfish thing of me to do. But the truth of the matter is, is that black men, man, oh man, oh man, have just gotten such a bad rap um, since the beginning of their existence in America, to be honest. And so I'll get back to that in a moment. But so there was Ahmad's death, which kind of like set me back a little bit. And then there came to be George Floyd's death. And in between then, um, Breonna Taylor actually was murdered as well. Um, the police came and I, I'm, I'm assuming that most listeners are aware of these stories, but Brianna was murdered in her sleep. Um, or I guess she was, she may have been awoken, but the police came into the wrong apartment, um, for thinking that there was drugs in the apartment or whatever and her boyfriend woke up thinking that there were intruders in the home because the police did not announce themselves and shot a fire like shot his gun or whatever and the police shot back 20 times I don't know if it's 20 it might have been more than 20 but they shot back an excessive amount of times and the result was Brianna's death and the crazy thing about Brianna's story is that immediately her boyfriend was arrested. Immediately. But once the police realized that they were in the wrong apartment, 
and um, the officers were like killed someone who was completely innocent of any any of the charges that they assumed they were going into that apartment for. Um, none of them were arrested. None of them were received immediate consequences. And hence, so many people on the streets all over the world, not even just in America and not just in these towns that these people were murdered in, but all over the world, people are saying we need justice. And so for me, the crazy thing is, is that like, Okay, so let me just back up a little bit. Um, Prior to this, prior to all of this, we were all like as of March, we have most of us have been in a stay at home order where some of us are just home. We're home. We can't work. We can't go to work. We're either working from home or we're just not working at all or whatever. So um, a lot of us have been in this forced place of isolation where we are alone with our thoughts, where we're alone with our families, where some of us are just alone, period. Um, And so, yeah. And so the thing, I guess I'm a little bit all over the place, but the thing is, is that um, these, this police brutality that we are experiencing is not new. Like this has literally been going on for hundreds of years. Black Love has a article, an article on their website called Defunding the Police Explained. And I've heard this before, but I wanted to say it the way that they said it because I felt like they said it nicely, obviously. <laughs> it's a published article. So I wanted to make sure that I say it, but it says police violence against black people in communities is not anything new. The recent killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Rashard Brooks, and countless others underscores the origins of police in the United States as fugitive slave patrols. To be clear, slave patrols were designed to find, apprehend, terrorize, and punish black people outside the law's purview. This was made possible in part because black people were not legally recognized as full human beings. And despite the eventual passage of the 13th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution, black dehumanization as a social and political practice has remained. So I share that to say that like police brutality, like this is something that is basically, I keep calling it like threaded into the making of um, the, um, like of America, of the police. And so when I think about what's happening right now, all the protests and riots in the streets right now, I feel like it's, basically happening as a result of COVID-19. Um, I I do believe that there would be a large, uh, I believe that the black community would definitely be enraged by this. Um, but the level of unrest that is happening from other communities um, outside of the black community is what has been, um, I don't know what the word is because (laughs) it's like, okay, so all of a sudden it seems like people's eyes are being opened, right? And I think the main reason that this has happened is because COVID doesn't allow us to fall into the distractions that we used to have, like work, like school, like extracurricular activities. Most of those things are distracted. 
most people are on their phones scrolling or they're watching the news or they're just they're got nothing going on to distract them. And so they're forced to see and to pay attention to what's happening. And so everything seems to be going. Um, I don't want to say awry, but like people are upset. They are sharing the. Um, I, can I say burden? Oh, I don't know what the word is, but they are they are feeling some of what we are feeling. And so, um, yeah, there's just a lot going on. And for me, it's been a lot to process, man, like between George Floyd's death and everything that's happened since I have been reflecting on my own black girl experience and um, I'm realizing that I have a lot of suppressed grief that I have not dealt with yet. And <laughs> I don't know that I am dealing with it currently, but I definitely am paying attention to some of the life experiences that I have had. Now, I will be the first to admit that I have kind of lived in um, a bubble. I have... Like when you think it like we keep talking about privilege and white privilege specifically, but I do believe that there is such a thing as black privilege. Like um, I didn't grow up in the same neighborhoods that my husband grew up in. I didn't see the same things that my husband saw. I wasn't exposed to a lot of the things that my husband and others were exposed to um, just because of the parents that I had and just because of the neighborhood that I lived in. And so um, even the lens through which I experience the grief associated with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and even Rayshard Brooks and so many others, you guys, Trayvon Martin, um, so many others there. I mean, the list could go on and on for days. And the thing is, like, there's so many that have been recorded and shared with us, but there are others who have not been recorded and shared with us who deserve just as much justice as everybody else. And so, um, yeah. So today I, I specifically wanted to talk about this idea of grief. Um, my children have seen me cry more in the last four weeks than they have in their entire life. And I can't seem to get a grip. I can't seem to get a grip. I don't know what it is. Um, I can be driving and a police car pulls up behind me and I'm like, like anxious all of a sudden. And I'm like, okay, what's the speed limit? And yada, yada, yada. You know, I'm just paying attention to everything I'm doing, making sure both my hands are on the wheel and making sure that my license is somewhere nearby that I can easily grab it without it having to be in any conspicuous place where they might assume that I'm reaching for a gun or whatever, you know, and like, and I will say that that hasn't always been a way that I felt, but because the tension right now is so thick, um, I am experiencing, I guess what you would call some sort of PTSD. And then when I'm driving and eventually the police car like turns and it's no longer behind me, I just weep <laughs> because I'm like, it's not fair that, um, that I had to feel that. 
that I had to be nervous about that, that I have a car full of children and that I'm not assured that even if I were to get pulled over, that something couldn't pop off because a police officer would see that I have a car full of kids, you know, like children, people have been shot and killed in front of their children. People have been brutally beaten in front of their children. That is not a safe space for them, you know? And so there are so many triggers right now. Like the other day I was in the grocery store and I saw a white man who was obviously, a um, he worked for the fire department. Um, I could, I knew because of the t-shirt he was wearing, but he was also wearing a American flag as his like face covering his mask. It was like a a facial mask, but it was made out of American flag material. And that triggered me. Like, it was crazy, man. It was like, all of a sudden, I just assumed he was against me. And that's what it is. It's me walking around, looking at everybody kind of like, are they for me or are they against me? And it's not necessarily me personally, but it's the black community. Are they like, do they, does this person believe that black lives matter? Or do they believe that all lives matter? And, you know, the truth of the matter is all lives do matter, but all lives can't matter until black lives matter. And that statement in and of itself seems so self-explanatory, but it seems so foreign to some people. Like some people just can't wrap their heads around it and or their minds around it. And it's kind of it's mind blowing to me. I can be in my kitchen making dinner and just all of a sudden weep just weep for, for, I will, I can't say no reason, but tears will just flow because I'm sad about what's happening in our country right now and all around the world. Um, I can be outside watching my seven year old ride his bike and then just kind of like think, Oh my goodness, one day he's going to ask me, mom, can I ride my bike down to Seven Eleven really quick to get like a soda or a pack of chips and some candy? And I will probably say no, (laughs) or maybe I'll say yes, but I will want to make sure that he is fully prepared for like what happens if a police officer stops him and says, Hey, sir, you fit the description of, uh, of, a you know, a suspect that we're looking for, you know, like, will there ever be a day that I won't be anxious about like being black in America or my black children um, being apart from me on the streets or in their car or wherever, you know, Um, there's just a lot going on. And I felt super emotional and I'm not pregnant. I'm not necessarily PMSing like all these four weeks. It's just something, right? And so I was like, okay, what is this? And so I realized that what I am experiencing is grief. I am grieving. And so I went on a hunt to look up because, you know, I've heard before of the stages of grief, right? And so I look up the four stages. I, you know, Google is your best friend. And so they have these four stages and I mean, sorry, the five stages. And so the five stages, first one is denial. That is where you experience shock and disbelief that loss has occurred. The second one is anger. 
You're angry that someone you love is no longer here. The third one is bargaining. All the what ifs and regrets. What if, what if, um, I don't know, like in the case of George Floyd, like what if someone would have just stood up for him? What if those other police officers would have pulled that one police officer off of his neck? Would he still be alive? You know, like what if George would have just been homesick that day? What if the police officers would have went into the right apartment? Brianna Taylor would still be alive. You know, like it's just all that. Um, The fourth one is depression is sadness from the loss. And then the fifth one is acceptance, acknowledging the reality of the loss. And so I, I saw those stages and I'm like, okay, this is cool and dandy, you know, like, okay, cool. Yeah, I've definitely, I don't know that I experienced denial so much. Um, I definitely was shocked at the way that George Floyd died. Um, <laughs> boy, oh boy, did I feel anger and do I still feel anger when I think about all of the people who are, not being held accountable for some of these deaths. Um, I've definitely thought about the what ifs. I have experienced a deep sadness and I am experiencing a deep sadness at the loss of so many black men and women. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) I think I'm just entering into this idea of acceptance, of acknowledging, actually, I don't know. I don't know. I guess my acceptance is that I am grieving. Like I'm accepting the fact that I'm grieving. I don't know if it's necessarily acceptance, acknowledging the reality of the loss as much as it is like, yeah, this is what it is. And so in that, I wanted to know more. I wanted to hear more. And so I heard I my Google search, I discovered that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler actually um did a study on the stages of grief together and they have a book. I can't remember the name of the book right off the bat, but um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is actually deceased. And um, David Kessler is still alive and he's still, you know, like doing this work. And I came to find out that David Kessler wrote a book and it's called The Sixth Stage of Grief. Actually, I think that's like the subtitle. I can't remember what the main title is, but that's basically it. And so I went and looked up David Kessler. I was like, does he have a a podcast? (laughs) Because I'm so into podcasts. I'm like, I want to hear somebody talk about this. Tell me what I'm feeling. Tell me what is going on. And so I Googled David, David Kessler and then I discovered, oh my goodness, he has a podcast. Like he doesn't necessarily have a podcast of his own, but Brene Brown, who I'm a fan of, um, had David Kessler on her show to talk about the sixth stage of grief, which he calls meaning. And so, of course, I listened to the episode and I will definitely link that in the show notes below. But I kind of just wanted to talk about this because I feel like there's probably people other than myself who are experiencing some feelings or you're like you're feeling these feelings and you're like, what is going on? Like, I didn't know George Taylor. I didn't know Breonna Taylor. I'm sorry, I didn't know George Floyd and I didn't know Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or Trayvon Martin or um, any of the other ones, you know? And so it's like, why am I feeling this? Why am I just, you know? And I think that a lot of us in the black community kind of understand why we're feeling this. I think that 
a lot of us understand that that could have been you. That could have been me. That could have been my brother, my my um, mom, my dad, my husband, my child. I think that a lot of us see ourselves in the lives lost. And so that is what it is. And so anyway, I just wanted to kind of share some of the insight that I got um, listening to Brian. I'm sorry, listening to Brene Brown and David Kessler talk. And so one of the main things that I um, the first things that I got from their conversation is that even in these stages of grief, of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, it is not linear. It's not prescriptive. What it is, is descriptive, meaning that these are things that we will experience in grief, but it's not necessarily first you'll experience denial. Second, you'll experience anger. What happened was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross actually studied death and the stages of death. And um, from there, she started to dive more into this idea of grief and the stages of grief. And David Kessler helped her un unfold more of that. And so they have their book together that they wrote. Um, and so, but what one of the main things that he wanted to get across is that these are not linear. So if one day you're experiencing anger and then the next day you're experiencing denial, you're not necessarily going backwards. These are things that are just happening within your grief. And so, um, yeah, when Brene Brown and David Kessler were talking, they were more so talking about COVID. They were talking about experiencing grief in the context of COVID. But when I was listening to it, I was kind of listening through it, to it through the lens of the grief that I'm experiencing um, being a black woman in America. And one of the things that was said in the podcast is it said he said, we've got to feel these feelings. We got to feel the grief, because I think some of us are probably like, dude, I can't I don't have time to be sad. Like life moves on. And some of us are probably like, this is not going to change just because people are marching down the streets and white people are all of a sudden understanding things like some of us probably still don't have hope that things are going to change. And I will be the first to admit that some days I have hope and some days I don't. Some days I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to get better. And then some days I'm like, oh, no, like my Instagram timeline is starting to look like it used to before George Floyd's death. I think people are kind of returning to their quote unquote normal. They're forgetting. They're forgetting that we have a fight to fight. And in that, that I want to kind of bring up um, this idea of comparative grief um, or comparative suffering or I forget what it's called. But so, for example, um, in the podcast episode, they kind of talk about how when people experience the loss of a child, when a mo mother and father, a husband and wife experience the loss of a child, it is often the cause for divorce. Like that's something that people say. And what David Kessler offered is he's like, no, that is not the cause of divorce. The cause of divorce is judgment of each other's grief. He said that he was basically saying that like, man, like you, we both lost this child, but you are still able to like go to the gym and do all these things. Like you're, it seems like you're carrying on with your life while I'm over here, like tucked under my comforter with the shades closed. And I'm, I obviously love this kid more than you did type situation. And so 
um, he talked about this being a cause for divorce because like one parent is like, hey, you obviously didn't love our child. And the other parents like, yes, I did love this child, but I, I, you know, we just grieve differently. And I don't think that they're able to, um, you know, communicate what their grief necessarily looks like. And he said that two people with an empty tank cannot fill up, fill each other up. And so, um, I don't know, man, I just was saying that to say that, like, even within the black community and even within the community as a whole, I feel like some of us are looking at each other and like, well, you should be posting more on social media about black lives matter, or you haven't even said black lives matter. Do you believe that black lives matter? Are you marching down the street in protest? Like, what are you doing to fight the fight? You know? And I think some of us can even be judgmental of ourselves and be like, man, why, why can't I, go do this or do that or look at them what they're doing shouldn't I be doing more like what can I be doing and um I think some of us probably haven't necessarily found our footing yet like we haven't found our voice yet because we are still in the process of grieving maybe we're in the depression part right we're like just sad and we we are experiencing that sadness to the fullness. And I think that that's okay um, because you are grieving. And I, I guess I just, I guess I wanted to talk about this because I really wanted to say that, like, I think some of us need to realize that we are grieving, that we need to call it what it is and accept it for what it is so that we can get to the sixth stage of grief, which is meaning. And one of the things that um, they said in the podcast, and let me see if I wrote it down. Oh, man. Um, one of the things that they said in the podcast is that you will, like the grief doesn't necessarily go away. The grief, like just because you get to, the acceptance stage where you've acknowledged the reality of the loss. That doesn't mean that you have finished the cycle and you're done. There will be moments where that grief comes back to the surface. And I think that that is what's happening for a lot of us in the black community because we've been here before we, we've seen Rodney King, um, be attacked the way that he was, you know, and we've seen other black men and women lose their lives. And we've seen other just racial injustice. We've experienced it for ourselves. And we, you know, it may be in the past, but this current climate that we're in is bringing up past hurts. And therefore we're experiencing a deep unsettling grief again. And so I guess like my point is here <laughs> is that let yourself grieve. Let yourself grieve. And um and as we talk about like David Kessler's sixth stage of grief being meaning, I want to read something. I um I haven't bought his book, but on Amazon you can read the first, you know, few pages of a book. And so I want to read this to you guys. 
Ultimately, meaning comes through finding a way to sustain your love for the person after their death while you're moving forward with your life. That doesn't mean you'll stop missing the one you love, but it does mean that you will experience a heightened awareness of how precious life is. Whenever it ends at a few days or in extreme old age, we rarely think that the life that life is long enough. Therefore, you must try to value it every day and live it to the fullest. In that way, we do the best to honor those whose deaths we grieve. Here are some thoughts that may guide you in understanding meaning. One, meaning is relative and personal. Two, meaning takes time. You may not find it until months or even years after loss. Three, meaning doesn't require understanding. It's not necessary to understand why someone died in order to find meaning. Even four, even when you do find meaning, meaning, you won't feel it was worth the cost of what you lost. Your loss is not a test, a lesson, something to handle, a gift, or a blessing. Loss is simply what happens to you in life. Meaning is what you make happen. That was number five, and I'm going to read that last statement again. Meaning is what you make happen. Six, only you can find your own meaning. Seven, meaningful connections will heal painful memories. And so um, Brene Brown asks David a question. He goes, do we ever use meaning seeking as a pull vault out of pain? So do we ever try to find meaning as a way to escape the pain that we are feeling? And Yeah, I mean, I think the natural answer to that question is yes, of course we do. And David responds to her question by saying, you can't use meaning to spiritually bypass pain. There's no way around the pain. If you can't feel it, you can't heal it. Meaning is a cushion. Meaning is not the death. It's in you, what you do with it after. And so I guess right now, like my only encouragement to myself and to you guys is that we can't let this meaningful moment pass. We cannot let this meaningful moment pass. So feel your feelings. (laughs) I feel like I say that almost every podcast episode. Feel your feelings. Acknowledge your grief. But don't let this moment pass. Okay. And I, I, the thing is, I feel, I feel bad saying that because I feel like I just like told them that, you know, you never really stop grieving and this, that, and the other and whatever. But, um, I feel like, I feel like, um, we just have to be careful, man. Like, I'm not saying don't. Be sad. Because like I said, like my sadness hits me when I least expect it. And sometimes when I do expect it. But um, I just don't want this moment to pass and then we do nothing. You know, we have to do something. We have to keep the momentum. And if you are a black listener listening to this and you all of a sudden have become the black friend um, because I, I'm going to tell you this. I didn't realize how many <laughs> people I was like, I was like the only black person they knew. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been very insightful. And 
in that first, I think I was a little irritated by how many people were reaching out and asking me questions and doing whatever. But at this point in my um, processing, I feel like I'm open to the idea of just sharing my truth, my personal truth, because it would be sad for us to believe that every black person experiences things the same way or has the same story or whatever. That's just not the case. And so for me, I feel like it's valuable for people to understand my perspective. And so at this point, I am open to having conversations. And if I'm not, like if it's a rough day, I will just say, you know, I can't I can't be your black friend today or I cannot engage in this type of conversation right now because you do you do so badly have to protect your heart and protect your mind. And as a mother, I'm realizing that the grief that I'm experiencing is starting to encroach upon my interactions with my children. And, you know, I have to protect that as well. And so I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I say I don't know so many times. And I'm pretty sure I said I wouldn't say it. But, you know, here we are. Um, But I guess I'm saying all of this to say, guys, just um, just do what you have to do in order to get through. Feel what you have to feel in order to get through. However, there is meaning from these deaths. And this right now, what we're living in is a meaningful moment. And so um, they talk in the podcast about gratitude and It's like, yeah, you don't have to be grateful that the person lost their life. You're not grateful that the person lost their life. But gratitude can appear in a different way. Gratitude can, it's, it, it, they talk about gratitude um, as being something that has to do with the person, not the trauma. And so the thing that we can be grateful for is that Breonna Taylor lived a good life or she lived a life worth living, you know, and that George Floyd lived. And the meaning that we can get from their deaths is that um, people's eyes are open. I guess, no, I guess the meaning more so kind of comes from the fact that we are quarantined at home. Like there's gratitude. I am strangely thankful. Like I'm not thankful that people are losing their lives as a result of COVID, but I am grateful that people's attention is forced to be on this other pandemic that has been going on for hundreds of years. And so, um, yeah, y'all, I don't know. I guess that's just where I'm at. I've been trying to process my grief. I haven't known necessarily what to say and what not to say. Um, I've given myself some space from this podcast because I didn't want to come on here sounding like the angry black woman. Um, but I will tell you that I am an angry black woman. I am. And, um, so much of, so much of my black existence and the black existence of so many others is just not fair. And it's not even just black people. It's native Americans. It's the Hispanic culture. It's Asians. Like we all are experiencing our own injustices. And so, that that's going to take me into the quote for for today. Um, and the quote is from Angela Davis. Like I said, she's got a beautiful way with words, but she's known for saying, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change 
I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Again, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I don't want to, um, you know, file things away to deal with them later. I want to deal with them head on. I want to be a part of conversations that will, um, at the bare minimum, affect the lives of those who we do life with and therefore hopefully um, positively impact the relationships that my children have with some of these people. I want to begin voting for the right candidates. You know, I want to, I want to do better. I want to be better. And I want to have hope. I want to have hope. And so y'all, as you process your grief, as you feel your feelings, as you face your feelings, my prayer is that you would find an unexplicable peace in the love that God has for your life. Whether you're black, brown, yellow, white, gray, purple, pink. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, that is my prayer for you, that you would find rest, but that you would also be activated. And so that's the episode for today. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, whether it be next week or four weeks from now, I'll be here. Talk to y'all later. Happy hump day, y'all.